Hello and welcome to the 374th episode of the Creighton Crowbar, a podcast about PC gaming. It's the 23rd of June on the date that we're recording this. Uh, I'm Alex Wiltshire and tonight I am joined by the singular, but the expansive Graham <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Is expansive a good adjective to apply to a human being? Am I am I particularly wide? <laughs> you just you just fill a space. You fill the space. If if you've if 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 ever I had a room that didn't have enough furnishing in it, I would just think get Graham round and he'd make the room he'd bring the room together. <laughs> like a like a rug just put me in the middle of the floor expansive that's the word you use for open worlds isn't it that's that's sort of like if you're ever grasping for some sort of adjective to uh to kind of to to to, to criticize to critique an open world you have to go for expansive i am covered in mountains you can walk to <laughs> You're you're covered in mountains that I <laughs> yes. <laughs> I momentarily g- got confused by my own analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the mountains? But then I realised there were the mountains that I accidentally conjured. <laughs> lots of lots of icons and fetch quests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the news today, Alex? Well, we're in that uh, post E3 lull, um, so there isn't an awful lot of news, um, but there is a, a, a heartwarming thing that's happening this week. Uh, well, heartwarming for me, and I think for you as well, and for all similarly ancient <laughs> people of PC gaming, which is the um, that it's Quake's 25th anniversary. There have been a bunch of really cool things going on, celebrating... Uh, the game that's usually put behind Doom in the kind of the whole first-person shooter uh, annals of history. But actually, I don't know, should it be? Yeah, Doom is definitely the one that just, it seems to be growing <laughs> every year at the moment. Yeah. Like the number of Doom um, wads uh, and mods for it, are, it's just huge. And it's ridiculous that people keep churning stuff out for that. And every time there's an anniversary for Doom, there's like big mapping competitions and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and Quake always feels a little bit forgotten. But for me, Quake is the one I love much more. Because when Doom came out, I was seven years old, which is just a little bit too young. Whereas when when Quake came out, I was 10, 11. And that was just when we got a PC as well. We got a PC in 95. Yeah. And so, yeah, like Quake was the the first first person shooter that I played a lot of. Yeah, you were lucky then. You had a computer that could handle it because our family PC could. Well, you, it would run, but it really wasn't nice. But um, so I, so I cut mine on Doom because we got our PC in two thousand nineteen ninety three. So just as just as it came out mm-hmm. and then this sort of yeah these wads kind of percolated over whatever the hell network of kind of copying and kind of sort of discs kind of that would happened i don't even know the vectors by which games came to me back then i was in sixth <laughs> form would have been no yeah just the early sixth form first year of sixth form and i don't i had i had most of the the big games of the time like mostly shareware, 
and I had no idea how I, you know, I didn't, hadn't, didn't go anywhere near going online and no BBSs or something, but there must've been someone who knew someone who knew me. I don't know how many chains of, you know, uh, degrees of separation it was. Was it all playground kind of swapping? Was that how, yeah. they, how you got them? Yeah. Like there'd be a disc that went round and, um, and then, you know, you'd sort of, I'd have it for a night and then send it and then copy everything off it. Then go to the next person. But I don't know who the, the originator was. And I'm surprised to be working sort of virused up to the eyeballs. My mum's <laughs> computer, she worked on it. And <laughs> like, subjecting everything to severe risk all the time but i got to play doom so you know on the you know weighing it up it's all good but yeah and i i feel so i feel um i feel more uh i think that that doom gets me in the feels a little bit more but actually i have a lot more fun with um with quake these days than i do doom and i keep i was actually thinking about why today because um, there, uh, there have been several big Mac packs released for, for the anniversary. And um, I was playing through a few of the maps in them. And um, there's something just extra. I've talked about it on the pod before because there's some amazing uh, map packs that are going around, that, you know, from live groups of people who are still making big things in them. You know, build, a lot of them built on various tools that really extend what, what Quake was able to do um, is natively able to do anyway, and um, and the level of expressivity I just love. Like it's this such a in the best cases it's such a beautiful dance between keeping do Quake's specific aesthetics that sort of grim brownness that it has, <laughs> chunky three D. At angles where they shouldn't be, but somehow they really work. But then actual real expressiveness where, um, you know, it's just because you're working in 3D, the canvas is so much more uh, flexible than it is with Doom, where you're always kind of pushing it to do things that are already based on incredible, you know, uh, trickery. I think, like, for me, the reason Quake appeals or is easier to go back to is just... Well, it's full 3D, and that means you've got proper mouse look, for example. Yeah. Like, going back to Doom, I find it it feels old-fashioned, whereas Quake is like, well, no, these are the rules that now every first-person shooter has followed for the last 25 years. Yeah, and the feel, it just feels so good. Doom feels good as well, like, but Quake feels so good. It's so fast, like yeah. whizzing through the opening chapter, especially of, of Quake. Like I've played through that dozens of times, you know, the first four or five levels. Um, and they're just a joy to bounce through, blowing things up and blowing things away. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the new maps. So, uh, so uh, I was going to talk about um, one map in particular, um, which was made by Robert Yang, a uh, a game developer and academic. Robert Yang, I mean, he's he's really very annoying because he's <laughs> he's so he's so smart <laughs> and he's so talented. And... I don't know. I don't know if I I must have talked about this on the podcast back in the day, but like 
I used I knew Robert when we were both teenagers. We were both part of the Half Life mapping scene and hung out in the same IRC rooms, uh, mostly around the Valve Editing Resource Center, which was like the official Valve modding site filled with tutorials and that sort of stuff. And so we worked on mods together, most of which didn't go anywhere. Um, but he was one of the most talented level designers in that scene. And I was an extremely mediocre level designer who never really finished anything, but spent a long, a long, a lot of time noodling around and a lot of time writing reviews of maps for fan sites. That's what I did as a teenager. And eventually at some point I decided, Hey, the thing I really care about is the writing. I'm going to focus on that. And Robert was obviously going to focus on level design and that was what he was really good at and that's what he was doing. So it was always frustrating some years later when I was working at PC Gamer to discover that Robert was also a better writer than I was. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> I I chose to focus on writing. He chose to focus on level design and yet he's still fucking smarter and better at writing. Like he, he is appalling, uh, absolutely appalling, because he is a really good writer. Like to know there's he he balances the art and technology of games so well. Like he talks about how one informs the other, and you know his understanding of the technology of games. I don't know. It's 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 precisely what I find fascinating, and I've always struggled to 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 actually reflect in the way that I want to in my own writing. Yeah, he's real good. So you you will hate uh, the fact that, <laughs> you know, you will hate his uh, level in them. Um, so this is that several different um, maps have been, uh, map packs have been released uh, around um, the anniversary for Quake. One of them is called Alkaline, which actually uh, Young Marsh uh, recommended to me the other day. And I haven't played very much of it at all, but it's a, it's a quite extensive um, uh what would you call it? Um, you know, sort of re-skinning, re, you know, lo- loads of new assets and things, sci-fi, big full adventure. Um, so different fonts and guns and, and enemies have been all tweaked and muck- mucked around with. There are enemies with shields in it. There are enemies with lightsabers. Goodness me. There's all, you can see what they're all based on, you know, but, um, if you know quite well, but so there's that. Um, and Marsh Harley recommends that we'll put, um, Links to all this in the show notes. There's a Q25 Limits, which this is a map pack, which is all about um, observing the original uh, technical limits of, of Quake. As I mentioned earlier on, most modern map packs ignore that because um, the, I don't know what you call it, clients that that, that you play uh, Quake in today that actually run in Windows 10 and whatnot, uh, they you, you've got far more uh, sort of level size and complexity that, that they can handle rather than compared to the original game, but the Q25 limits pack uh, is limited, and I would like I'm going to try that next one called Tremors. But then there's the one I'm been playing most is called the Sinister 625 pack, uh, and uh, Robert's level is called Daughter Drink This Water. <laughs> It's a great name. It is a great name. He admits he's written a really good, um, obviously a really good blog yeah, post yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and he admits that actually, uh, it's it's from a film or something, but he hasn't watched. Oh, or, no, it's from a book, and he hasn't read the book. <laughs> he admits, <laughs> but he liked the phrase. Um, uh, so the first thing you like, so uh, I'm going to 
just I'm going to explain most of the level. So if you want to play it from fresh, I would not listen to this yet, but I won't tell explain all of the stuff in it. But um, it starts out with you in a kind of a dark kind of corridor, and it's got um, a Handel's Saraband uh, playing. So you're instantly in a quite a different Quake uh, feels than than you would normally have. Um, uh, and, uh, and you come out and the aesthetics, like it's all gray concrete or gray stone. It's very kind of, you know, it's, it's nicely observed in places. It's quite sort of, um, there's areas where there's sort of light shining through thin cracks in sort of what look like concrete walls. It's a bit like Tado Ando, the, you know, some of the architecture by Tado Ando kind of concrete modernist stuff. But it's fully game and um and it's really, really smart. You start off in a very small area, um, with lots of cover and things, and there are enemies all sort of hiding in the cover and as you're going around, it's quite quick to to find uh some a good range of weapons. You get the needle needle gun quite or nail gun, sorry, um quite early on. And you've got the shotgun, obviously. Um you get the grenade launcher quite early on as well. Um, and eventually you, you find, um, this kind of towery thing and inside the, the tower, it, it's sort of open at the back and with a, with a view hole and there's a switch and you push the switch and then it says, uh, the walls have listened, I think it says, and a great chunk of the level just, uh, goes down, like it sort of retreats into the ground, hmm. expanding the level all of a sudden. And what was some things that were high might now be accessible. Um, whole new areas are also accessible. And suddenly this area that you're in is no longer small. It is larger. And so you go off and you fight a load of enemies that have now been revealed to you. And you find another one of these towers. And the same thing happens again. The level gets even bigger. And it's so, so smart. It's really good. <laughs> um, it's There are loads of loopy bits in it because the area is quite constrained and you learn that first area very so you know immediately um uh you you can you you can perceive and understand the loops that it takes you on and the fact that you can also access areas from from other ways around if you look closely enough and the enemies in their kind of repose state you know they're kind of sta- you know non alerted state uh are direct they're they're placed so they're facing the direction that the game is expecting you to come from so you feel real clever when you're coming around from them from the back and that's really nice um you also continually reuse parts of the level that that so because you've because because you're still in this connected space you know you might be uh have a bunch of new stuff to go to but the old stuff is still completely just there and in fact some of it might be even more accessible than before because now walls that were uh separating it off from the main area have gone down and now it's all part of the main area and that changes also its shape even though it's still familiar it so you feel a really lovely balance of familiarity and just knowing where you are with with a place and also freshness because you're seeing it in a new light and it's a place of um sort of vague sanctuary from from the completely new areas and the threat level <laughs> goes up and up and up every time you kind of open up a new area uh you know the the amount of enemies that come at you increase um a spaceship appears in the in the air um uh you get onto the spaceship obviously of course you do <laughs> at the end um 
something then happens to the spaceship uh, after that point. And it's just, I didn't know Quake could do this stuff, for instance. I didn't know that it could move whole chunks of level in that way. I wonder if it couldn't, because like you you mentioned that, um, you know, this isn't running in the original Quake engine. Quake has been open sourced. And so everybody's using these sort of yeah, so this different is like, clients that have left yeah, the limits. Yeah. yeah. And so I wonder if they've also added new entities that allow you to like move geometry and have more reactive environments than used to be possible with, with what was in the the base game. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. I know that sort of in general, like, you know, the, the, the ports make it very quake, but more quake, if you see what I mean, as opposed yeah. to different. <laughs> um, so may I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Actually, maybe it's in his blog post. I haven't read it all yet, but, um, yeah, it's, um, clever. And then this is the, the spoilery bit. So give me a, give me a minute. <laughs> uh, Yang explains in his blog post that actually, um, the whole level, and I knew that it felt vaguely familiar. There was something about it, and I couldn't really place it. Um, it's that the whole area is um, is is based on the Hangham High level of um, Halo map of Halo, which is sort of you know has a hanging spaceship. It has lots of kind of sort of uh, uh, rocks, kind of giving you lots of cover and things. And are they rocks? I think sort of concretey kind of sort of tank trappy things. I can't remember. Anyway. It's that level. He's and it's even taken directly from the data files from from Halo, converted mm-hmm. uh, into a format that, um, that 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 Quake Maps can use. And it's like, yep. <laughs> not only, not only is it like you know a beautifully designed single player, you know, contained, rip roaring, sort of Quake Map. It's also riffing on other people's maps. It's all over the place and yeah nice one yang very good what a a prick what a prick (laughs) (laughs) yeah doing good game design that also functions as good game design criticism (laughs) it's like it's unfair it's like it's one or the other not both (laughs) but i find it like i can easily imagine myself getting sucked into level editing again because it was really moorish and fun when i used to do it and there's always something like the point at which level design, because I, I kept it up for a while and I did it a bit for Half-Life 2 and that sort of stuff, but where it lost me was where maps moved away from being based on geometry you built in the level editor towards yeah. these like meshes that you would import, essentially. Uh, people would build them in 3D Studio Max or whatever, and then you would import oh, them into yeah. the Unreal Engine so you could get way higher fidelity. And it essentially got to a point where it was much harder for a single person to make a, a level that could sit alongside the professional stuff and believably be the same and so like these like open source quake projects are similar for half-life where they take an old engine and renovate it essentially so it's like well it's it's got the aesthetic of the old games but without all the nightmare of you know trying to optimize your r speeds and (laughs) not have too many fucking triangles on screen at the same time and all this sort of stuff you know, which was 90% of learning how to make a level was just learning how to make a level that would actually compile and wouldn't <laughs> run at three frames per second once you got it in game and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> like, so being able to lift all those restrictions, but still have it fundamentally be quite blocky geometry that you can build as a, as a single person 
Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> you should get into trench broom. <laughs> it would be fun. But, and then it would just like, that was what I would do in my evenings and like two years would pass and, <laughs> and it would feel like a waste of time. <laughs> It's it is really nice to see that sort of um, that these communities like this really solid and very active community that's still you know that 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 they're pulling around this um, this anniversary and and kind of sort of flowering of stuff and there's some new people um, so a friend of the pod and, and friend of ours anyway like um, Brendan Caldwell um, has released a map as well which I haven't played but it's called Big Boy's Birthday Party um, <laughs> <laughs> and the um, the main picture for it is um, oh what's the is it Shambler the big the big sort of furry yeti looking one yeti guy yeah with the electricity yeah he's a shambler he's standing in a, a very large throne um and he's got a health pack in front of him which presumably is 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 his cake so that's nice <laughs> so i'll be playing that next <laughs> yeah it's really lovely yeah and i don't know it's i i always i always like I mean, you know about restrictions i've always enjoyed playing because I haven't had to actually deal with making stuff in this stuff. I've enjoyed playing games that work with those restrictions or reflect those restrictions in some kind of way. I think, um, you know, and obviously Yang's level, it's obviously doing quite a lot of stuff and it must have taken a huge amount of work to put together and make us functional, you know, well, it's more than functional, making as fun as it is. Um, but it is still blocky and the objects and things have, very faceted and it's still quake even if it probably breaks you know most of it quakes own rules even back in the day some of the best maps came out of competitions that would put limits on you know how many polygons you could use or how many entities you could use that sort of stuff and so like i remember there was i can't remember was it polycount was maybe the community that did it but there was a like a mapping competition for quake three where you could only use a certain number of brushes in the creation of a multiplayer (laughs) level and people created these really interesting sort of abstract geometric spaces using like flat color brushes and stuff like that and the the winner of the competition was by sparth oh really who went on to become a mega famous concept artist and is now the lead NFT enthusiast. Is he? Yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. So. I think uh, he might have the, I think his thing might be the record high sale or something like that of art stuff. Anyway. Well, he's now the lead artist on Halo Infinite. Right. So like, that's just something nice about, I don't know, I don't know, it feels like full circle. Someone recreating a Halo 1 map in Quake. And the guy that's now doing Halo Infinite used to make Quake maps as well. <laughs> you see, I, I do wonder what happens though, because, you know, there there was a whole um, tranche of, of gaming that was informed by these sort of high restriction um, uh uh, people who'd learned their craft and through these high, high restrictions, whether they were by necessity or by, by kind of, or by design. I think that, um, you know, I'm thinking about the demo scene as well. 
and how that informed a lot of the Scandinavian studios. You know, I suppose kind of people like, um, oh, my brain's gone. They done Control, Finnish studio Control recently. Um, oh, you know, anyway. Um, Remedy? Remedy. You know, straight out of, and, and Dice, obviously, they were sort of highly involved in, in demo scene things. Um, and these days, um, game engineers do all they can to remove uh, restrictions. You know, when you've got kind of Unreal Engine 5 saying, hey, <laughs> you can have an infinite number of, of meshes. We'll just sort it out through maths or magic or both. Um don't know what does that do to um the, the act of creating you know i don't know maybe it's good maybe maybe <laughs> maybe thousands of hours of kind of blood sweat and tears that could have gone into making fun actual play um you know was spent on simply trying to make it appear on a screen i don't know I don't know. I like, I feel like something is definitely lost by the fact that a single person can't make a level anymore. And like you mentioned dice. I think, I think there was a guy who worked on Battlefield three and all he did was like water reflections. <laughs> that that was his job was just to make the water reflections look nice. And so if there was a puddle in the game or a lake or an ocean, then he would be doing stuff to make sure that it looked nice from an art perspective. And like that's, if you're making that game at that fidelity, that's a really important, valuable job, but it's also just four years of a person's life making puddles. Yeah. <laughs> and you think, probably wasn't what that person used to dream about doing who probably didn't <laughs> when they wanted to get into games or get into art they probably didn't want to be the puddle guy but they can look at every puddle and they can say that's my puddle i feel total ownership over that puddle running around a multiplayer game of battlefield 3 yelling at people guys guys look, look, look at this puddle oh, <laughs> shot on the head <laughs> You may well have died, but now you can really appreciate the, the, from this puddle from this low angle you've just seen. Wouldn't it have been better if that person had instead just been like churning out levels? And you know, wouldn't the art form of level design iterate and advance faster and do more interesting things if we weren't fiddling around on the margins of photorealism? Well, that's it, and I think I, I think also you know. I, the, one of the reasons it's I find playing these new these modern quake maps though you know, I was but they, they they are fun and they are in inflected with modern level design conventions but they operate and exist within a simple a much more simple world and they are no less uh, fun you know in fact they're more focused because they're not trying to fit into an overall designed narrative and characterization and stuff you know I, they pull out everything is stuck you know everything that that makes for a good level especially in something like what you know what um uh, uh robert yang has made you know everything is pushed right in front of you and um is appreciatable appreciable you know that it's good but then i'm old so <laughs> well there, yeah this is the problem we're both old and this just becomes the old man podcast but we are talking it? about a thing from 25 years ago so that's unavoidable <laughs> they they knew what they were getting into when they 
clicked on this episode. <laughs> it's their fault, not ours. Uh, but you have been playing new things, haven't you, Graham? I have. I've been playing demos of new things. Demos are old. Let's get nostalgic about demos now. <laughs> no, let's not. Um, so it was Steam Next Fest, which is um, when Steam puts up like 500, 600 demos all at the same time for Ooh. six days or whatever and says, there you go, yeah. play some of those. Uh, and it's great. Like it's, there's loads of really interesting uh, exciting looking things in there loads of new things that i'd not heard of before lots of things that had just been kind of shown for the first time or uh the week before during e3 or the you know adjacent to e3 like the wholesome game stuff and that's the one of the demos i wanted to talk about is it's called little witch in the woods which i feel like as a title paints a picture but this was a game that they showed the trailer for it during the wholesome game stream and it's from a Korean developer, I think. Hmm. And it's uh, basically Studio Ghibli Stardew Valley is the way to think of it. So like mechanically, it's not necessarily doing anything brand new, but it's just uh, a, a, lo- a lovely time. So like you're, you're a little witch, you're on a train going to like your posting in a, a town where you've been assigned, much like in the Ghibli film Kiki's Delivery Service, but your train breaks down and um, leaves without you when it's fixed and leaving you in a forest um which your your little protagonist is very happy about you've got a talking hat um who you're you're conversing with and it's like a 2d top-down game where you then start running around the woods you stumble across a witch's cabin which seems to be empty and so you clean it and there's a basement filled with like machinery and the game pretty quickly becomes about creating potions to fill out your spell book, your spell book, your potion recipe book, I suppose, um, which you do by like exploring the woods, picking up flowers, uh, using the book to guide you in the recipes and then using the tools in the basement of this house in order to craft them. Um, so, you know, go collect two of these and three of these and then juice this one and roast this one and then throw them together in a witch's cauldron and it will spit out a bomb. <laughs> Um, and you're going to use that to then blow up some thorny vines which are blocking your path and opening up a a new area it's quite like i I can compare it to stardew because you know plants and harvesting and crafting and that sort of stuff but it's quite similar to turnip boy commits tax evasion which i talked about uh, a a couple of months ago on the podcast and then it's a game with like lots of short little mini quests that you complete quite quickly um that are usually about going and retrieving an object and sometimes transmuting that into a different object in order to like remove some block to your progress but it's just it's really lovely to look at and it's really charming as well so like for example one of the resources you have to gather I think it's called like lizard bubbles or something like that. But there's like a there's like a twenty four hour clock, and at certain times of the day, lizards will crawl out of the pond in this little clearing in the woods and lie on their backs. <laughs> and what you do is you go up and you rub their tummies, and bubbles <laughs> come out of their mouth, and they they look very very happy. And you collect the bubbles, and that becomes part of your recipe. Uh, and there's there's other things like that as well, like uh, like certain kinds of creatures that will only come out at night, and so you need to go to bed and fast forward the clock in order to be able to go catch 
certain kinds of butterfly and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a really simple thing. How really does it tell you about this stuff? Like, is, is that something you discovered the, the, the interaction with the lizards and the timing or was the game explicitly telling you? Uh, that was a thing that I discovered. So like you pretty quickly put, like it mentions at the start through a lot of dialogue with the hat and mm-hmm. like some signs and stuff like that in some tutorial messages, you know, it, it mentions, Oh, th- this creature comes out at night. Oh, you have to catch it by sneaking up on it. Press this button to walk and then use this button to equip your net. And then that's how you catch it. And you sort of infer from that, that, Oh, the, if this thing comes out at night, I bet there's other things that only come out during the day. And, yeah, there are enough little mini quests that send you across this world that as you walk back and forth, you go, oh, I, I was here earlier this morning. These things weren't there. Now they are. Now they've popped out. This, they must come out in the afternoon. And so you start to piece together this kind of information about the world. There is a lot of dialogue. So like there's characters that you discover in the woods that you can go talk to. Some of them are like, I found a little anthropomorphic fox creature. I also found a human adult female uh <laughs> you know you talked to both of them they both seem to exist in this world it's fine i had to free the fox from a spider's web and i've carried it back to my house and now i guess he just lives with me <laughs> which is presumptuous and a little bit um uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it is, like I say, from a Korean developer, and I would say that the translation is not 100% yet. I mean, it's not, it's not out. It's not due to be out until 2022, sometime early next year, I think. So they've got, they've got plenty of time to fix that stuff. But yeah, like the opening cutscene really dragged and there were like spelling errors and that sort of stuff in the, in the English dialogue. <laughs> but otherwise it was, it was generally fine. And I quite like the idea of, talking to your own hat but never taking it off your head so they can (laughs) they can never see each other's faces it's very odd i feel like if you were going to sit on a train for example and talk to your hat you would take your hat off and put it on the table in front of you yeah yeah you wouldn't want to just have it talking but then you know maybe it's the equivalent of wearing headphones and and talking to people you know on the phone sort of thing (laughs) well the only thing i could think is maybe the hat feels naked if you take it off your own head you know maybe the hat feels a sense of lack (laughs) (laughs) how similar does it feel to um to uh uh stardew valley like is there much nurturey stuff you know film farm making ingredients farming i suppose you'd call it not and it's not from what I played, but I feel like it's going to get there, basically. Like, the witch's cabin that you're in has a front garden, which is kind of overgrown and that sort of stuff, uh-huh. but not with not with plants that you can pull up. I feel like at some point it's going to get to the point of, like, you're planting your own stuff to grow. You've made a magical hoe! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's certainly, like, a similar feeling to um, Stardew Valley of renovating the town. Because although you've, your train broke down and you didn't get to the town that you were initially aiming for, you do, do discover that there is a smaller village nearby in the forest and your early quests are all about clearing a path to reach that town and helping the townspeople from, you know, rescuing them from one curse or another. And like the witch's cabin you find is all filled with dust. And so one of your first tasks is to clean it and like renovate it and make it nice again, that sort of stuff. So I feel like that's, that's a very Stardew Valley thing. 
to you know not just grow your turnips but also in, invest it in improving infrastructure <laughs> to get really into uh, uh yeah, witchy capitalism yeah i understand yeah to bless the forest with the uh the, the machinations of industry i've said all this um but the steam next fest is actually over now so people listening to this i'm sorry but you can't go play it anymore <laughs> it's gone steam next fest finished yesterday on the 22nd and so it'll be long gone by the time this episode goes up the next game i wanted to talk about however um is both it just came out yesterday and the demo is still available and that's super magbot which is uh have you played or seen this before no, it doesn't sound familiar, actually. It's a 2D platformer, but with a twist. Uh, it's literally, <laughs> that's literally its Steam description. A precise <laughs> 2D platformer with a twist, uh, which I feel like could be the description of, like, possibly every platformer <laughs> on Steam. Like, surely that's the cliche. No one's making just platformers without twists anymore. Um, but the twist here is a pretty good one. Um, you can't jump... Instead, what you've got is like a, a magnet gun in your hand, which you aim at differently colored platforms and press one of two buttons. One causes you, causes you to be drawn towards blue platforms and propelled away from red platforms. And the other causes you the opposite of what I just said to happen. Uh, and so basically, if you think of it, you're on a single screen 2D level. You've got a red platform on the ground beneath you. You're going to left click while aiming your magnet gun towards it. And that's going to shunt you away from that red magnet because the le left click is how do magnets work? It's the same. <laughs> it's, it's red. Like left click is red. Okay. So like it's, you know opposites attract and the same repel and so it's about attracting repelling yourself from these different platforms to punt yourself across levels and then it pretty quickly starts to get difficult like it's difficult enough to remember as you're speeding through a level do i left click or do i right click on which in this situation but then it introduces for example uh vertical platforms which can be smashed through so like you jump onto them and press one of the buttons to instead of propel yourself away from it, propel yourself through it. Uh, and there are also then um, platforms that will disappear after they've been stepped on for a couple of seconds. And then there is a resource limit in terms of like uh, how many times you can fire your magnet gun before you have to land your feet on the ground in order right. to recharge. Yeah. So, you know, so it's, a lot of this is quite similar to stuff that Celeste does, for example, yeah. or like a lot of other platformers. But the, I find the magnet gun is actually like a, a, a pretty good twist. Like having to think about not like both what button do I press in what context and thinking about that very quickly before you perhaps fall onto some spikes or whatever and die. But also you've got to aim the gun. So like you've, you're always trying to work out the angle and because you're jumping by sort of propelling yourself away, you aim the gun in the opposite direction from where you actually want your character to be propelled. If that makes sense. So it has mm -hmm. a kind of almost like, rocket jumpy sort of feeling to it a lot of the time um 
Pataut back into Quake, which as we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Um, is there therefore yeah, it's, kind it's, of like quite a sort of high skill ceiling? Do you think there there are stunts you could pull that you that might not seem be obvious when you first start playing? Yeah, again, this is like there's easy comparisons to Celeste here. So like every level you're doing, you're timed on your performance and given a rating based on how fast you did it. There's also like optional collectibles, um, which you know you might be able to complete a level pretty quickly on your first go, but then there'll be a collectible on the screen that you'll just look at and think, how the fuck do I get that thing? Like, how do I do that jump but not fall into the pit below it? Like, what is the... So it's like incentivizing you to replay levels, essentially, and any any level that you that you play and complete can then be revisited later in order to do it, do it a second time. Uh, and it does get hard pretty quickly, like even over the course of a demo, which I don't know, it's maybe like... It was quite generous so maybe 30 40 levels or something like that oh, okay. I, would say, I would say most of them i bashed like a lot of them you're completing in like seven seconds <laughs> so you know it sounds like a lot of levels but they're all a single screen and you just bash through them pretty fast but then there were levels within that where i got stuck and i would die 40 times on that one screen just over and over and over and over and over and over again and even once you managed to clear the first obstacle then i'm just dying over and over and over again on the on the second one and it's always sending you back to the start of the level and like again they're only a single screen so it, it never frustrates me as long as it's as long as it's pretty much instant to, re, to respawn and drop, go again then i'm okay with that um the other thing it does which is similar to celeste is that it's got a bunch of uh, difficulty options or accessibility options so you can add things like mid-level checkpoints you can raise the resource limit that stops you from being able to fire your magnet gun a certain amount of time i think you can increase your airtime, maybe mm. so like you don't you don't fall as quickly and that sort of stuff so there's loads of different ways that you can turn things on to make the game trivially easy essentially if you just want to progress or to find some sort of happy medium with whatever you like so it's quite like a, a nice complete package it's by a developer called Astral Pixel, who I'm not familiar with. I don't know if they've ever done anything before, but it is published by Team 17, who obviously have done a lot of these games. And it's the wrapping around this is this kind of, uh, it's quite 16-bit style. Like it reminds me of platformers that I used to play on the Amiga, which mm. were probably published by Team 17, to yeah. be honest with you, in the <laughs> 90s. Um, you know, it has that sort of, I don't know if you ever played things like Super Frog <laughs> and, or like James Pond, yeah, Robocod and that sort of stuff. Like yeah. the kind of, uh, the, it, you're like a little robot dude landing on an alien planet. I think all the other creatures are like tree people or something, but it's got like cutscenes in between certain chapters and stuff like that. I found all that stuff pretty obnoxious is the wrong word <laughs> uh, i just don't have any nostalgia like mo i think most of those games were pretty bad mm -hmm. you know i think like old nintendo platformers really hold up i think a lot of the old kind of uk platformers from the amiga era the commodore 64 era really do not hold up i actually um, played james pond on amiga recently and um yeah it's it's not it's not very good yeah and like you didn't expect the stories in those games to be good. 
and obviously like the physics in them would feel kind of crappy now super magbot feels really nice to play but by having like characters and writing and world and kind of somewhat art design inspired by those kinds of 16-bit games it feels like it's just invoking a bunch of stuff that wasn't good the first time around but it's it's pretty light touch you can, it seems at least from the demo like you can skip past that stuff like it's not you, you you get a bit of that in between a chapter and then a chapter is a set of levels which you're you know just pure jumping around and dying basically you know it's not actually within the, the level challenges themselves just in between so it's easily ignored but yeah it's the demo is still available now on steam um the game just came out yesterday uh, I don't know what kind of attention a platformer with a twist is going to get these days. <laughs> like, you know, bar a handful which seem to break out, it feels like they're probably quite a niche thing. But if you, like, I like, like Celeste obviously is the example that did break out, despite being very traditional in a lot of ways. Um, but there's not that many games like it. Like, the, like, I don't think there's that many precision platformers that are actually focused on just difficult precise nice feeling proportion around a 2d level and so super meat boy is kind of in that area as well also really popular very breakout yeah and that's the thing though but because like super meat boy was released in like 2008 maybe (laughs) you know like if if the the touchstones for the genre there's only like three of them to refer to from over the last 10 or more years and there are lots more of these games being made but mostly you don't hear about them they just exist quietly on steam this one i think is a a good example of the form basically like i don't think it's going to be celeste popular but it feels really nice to play and more people should check it out that's interesting it's interesting because i've I've also been playing a a platformer with a twist (laughs) (laughs) what have um, you been what's it called uh, it's Niflis's, um don't make me say it, Yuglet, uh, Y-N-G-L-E-T, mm-hmm. continuing Niflis's, um grand tradition of, of very difficult named in the games, uh, the Knit series. Would, would you would you pronounce? Yeah, it would be Knit, K-Y-N-T-T. I thought it was just net. I thought it was just net and then net stories. It, the I mean, it could, but that's how I, 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 uh, yeah, it probably is, isn't it? Is it, are they, are they Finnish? Um, he's Danish, I think. I think. Danish. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Might be a, might be a hard K. I mean, but then I, I'm wondering whether I wrote it down wrong because it might be K N Y as opposed to a K Y N. Anyway, I always did actually say knit. Anyway, there's a knit series. Uh, Ernog, Ernog, U U R N O G. That's a. Did you play Ernog? I didn't play Ernog. They, did they do a sequel to that recently, or like a Ernog like, Unleashed or something like that? There might, I think there was an expanded version that was released. I think it was re-released. Uh, okay. Expandedness. It's a really neat game. It's really very ambitious and really. I don't know. I, I mean, Nifus is an amazing game designer. Just a really imaginative um freewheeling kind of a game designer um and ernog kind of really leans on that um but i did find it so complicated in terms of you're in this area world and there are loads of ways that 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 its spaces interconnect and 
to explore, to find the stuff that you need to do. I just lost myself completely. And I just, um, I found it quite difficult, but I, what I did play of it, I was just, it was blown away by it. It's lovely game. It's a game about, I don't know. It's a, it's a big platformer, big platformer adventure. Um, and the new, his new game, Yugnet is, uh, uh, is, um, also a platformer, but it's not really a platform. You wouldn't recognize it as a platform, but it definitely is a platformer. Um, hmm. It is gorgeous. It's lovely to play. I love it. I really think it's great. Um, uh, so, so you, you look a bit like, um, did you, did you play any of, any of Genova Chen's flow game? Do you remember that game, the flow that he made where you were kind of like a little fishy uh, sort of amoebery? little yeah. thing yeah so i played look, that back in the day yeah so it's all a physics in that way uh you've got these fronds uh you look like that um so if you're as you kind of swim around what you think is like a little pool at the very start of the game you look like that um uh and you can freely move around um sort of enclosed shapes i suppose you'd call it like they're droplets of water um and outside of the the that enclosure of let's call it water uh you're in an environment where you are just, you will fall. You'll just go downwards, down off the screen, and then you'll, you'll die and then instantly restart. Um, but if you launch yourself with adequate speed out of your droplet, you'll make it to an adjoining droplet or a nearby droplet. And you are exploring uh, the levels uh, through these connected series of, um, of droplets, I suppose you call them. Um, and they're all drawn with this amazing shader um, which looks like felt tip pen, like all the lines are colorful um, and a certain thickness. But as you move around, they dynamically shift as with your passage, as if you're in water or as if you're in, it's just really lovely to look at. Um, same for the, the map that you choose the levels off, which I'll come back to. Um, but the levels, yeah, you're, you move through them as you kind of go from droplet to droplet, um, kind of, it, you know, the, the, the kind of the wall reacts as you sort of leap into it. It's got a lovely sense of inertia as you move around. Um, and as you go along, uh, the, as the game sort of progresses, you get a dash, um, uh, um, move, hold down. I mean, it, it, it recommends that you use a, um, a game controller and I totally agree. Don't play this on a on a on a um, keyboard because you need analog, three hundred and sixty degrees of of movement. Um, hold down the X button on a on a PS4 pad, and you will uh, your dash. You basically you freeze in position, or at least your sort of time will slow down enormously. So you're just moving just slightly, and you can then uh, choose a, a direction. There's a line that shows you which way you're dashing. Let go, and you very quickly zoom. Um, in that, uh, and then nurture will continue take you on that parabola, and then you'll, and hopefully you'll make it into a far off uh, droplet, and kind of you start exploring, and then he starts playing with the levels, and he finds so many things that you can do with this um, move step. Um, there are some uh, lines that you can go past. There are orange ones, and there are blue ones, and the orange ones. They will reflect you if you dash into them for as long as you're in the dash state, you will bounce off that line, um, giving you some extra movement. And you also your dash will be refilled. So you'll be able to dash again 
Um, so you can use them to go further or change your trajectory. Blue lines, as long as you're not in a dash, you will bounce off them. So these ones like a sort of bouncy lines. And so there are bits of the game where you're carefully deciding where you dash and when you don't dash in order to make the best of these these lines and to get to places that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to go to get an extra dash as well, because you also get a dash after bouncing off a blue line. Um, so you can dash towards blue line, make sure you're not dashing when you get it, bounce off it, and then you can dash again. And, you know, they're sort of physics-y so that, you know, your trajectory would be affected by their angle. Um, you have a little bit of air control, so you feel sort of, you feel able to control these these movements. They're quite fast, but yeah, it's a beautiful balance of being able to, to feeling in control, but also feeling out of control. It's really nicely done. Um, uh, there are some droplets which some of them toggle on and off as you dash, like when you dash, you dash and suddenly uh, um, areas will just toggle off and then dash again, they'll toggle on again. There are some which will disappear forever if you dash more than two or three times. Um, so you, that limits the number of dashes you can do. Um, uh, there's lots of little things like that. There are these, um, there are these, uh, lines, uh, in the level and this is all, the levels are all decorated with little line drawings of flowers and patterns. Some of them kind of burst out of a droplet as you go inside them, sort of these lights, just colors and it's just so beautiful, but the, the, all of the art direction, the, the color choices color palettes are just gorgeous the background uh, color is one color but it play it just works so beautifully with the line line like felt tip line drawings that you're kind of playing through it looks like a scribble on a piece of paper it's just oh it's just lovely um um but there are these uh, some lines uh they look like train tracks and when you bound when you move into uh the the end of one where there's this sort of orangey sort of yellowy kind of set of sort of hatched lines um you're suddenly kind of taken off on this little sort of journey along a trackway and then launches when it ends you get launched out so you're being processed through the level and then the world map starts to make sense because it feels like you're on a train and they actually the, the the music like changes as well and so like it does this little sort of like you're on a little train sort of sound effect sort of thing um just to as a sort of like an aside which is actually a really significant part of the game um the music is entirely dynamic <laughs> and is made with um Niflis produced a kind of dynamic music and sound system um i think it actually made it for ernog but it, he's kind of expanded on it and it's in um, uh, Euglet as well. And it is just this lovely electronica soundtrack with beats and just different moods depending on the level. Then it reacts so perfectly to what you're doing. It does, does not miss a beat in reflecting what you've done, what you're about to do, where part of the level you're in. So if you go forward in the level it will change if you then manage to somehow get back to that early bit of level the music will just instantly just meld back to that earlier state it's oh it's just it's really clever um in the way that generative generative procedural um dynamic music often feels a bit sort of rinky dink or sort hmm. of arbitrary i'd say this one it feels like 
authored tracks which just happen to be reflecting exactly what you're doing all the time it's really very really good um anyway i was going to say you know these trackways um you realize you're kind of playing in a space like it makes you feel like you're traversing a space and there are these hidden things to find collectible bits with these little off on on side routes sometimes the things you have to collect the thing you have to collect in order to finish the level um uh takes you off into a different area and or expands on a new or like gives you an ability to see things that were previously invisible and now you can find routes that take you elsewhere and the main map main the main sort of uh level select screen is presented as a map and each of the levels are called things like botansk have or harvey uh there's Orstens Parken, Assistance, Kierkegaard, Kastrup. Mm-hmm. These are all districts of Copenhagen. And the map that you're on is a map of Copenhagen. And you're swimming across it on the map screen, on the kind of the level select screen. And it, you know, all these little, is made out of these pen lines I've described before. And they're all kind of sort of reacting to you as you move along. And, and he's, I actually read him saying that uh, partly he wanted to just make it about Copenhagen or make it show Copenhagen but also he put it in there because um, he got funding from the, the Danish <laughs> uh, the Danish TV and film kind of institute or something like that and he knew they would like it and um and I like it too it's I don't know what it says about Copenhagen but I really love that the level I've just played is a district of Copenhagen and and I was on a little train ride and it feels like you're playing a bit like on the levels are a bit like playing a tube map. And, you know, it's it's a really lovely game and it's really playful. And it really actually strikes me as it's like um, Nintendo kind of did a collaboration with Genova Chen, sort of. That that detracts from the fact that it's absolutely a niffless game and it completely is reflective of all of his talent. But it has that air of kind of, Nintendo-ness where they play with a small number of um, fun, interactable things and make a really inventive game out of it. It's that, you know, but with this slice of just expressiveness, you know, that Nintendo probably wouldn't do because they would make it about Mario and it'd be very, very glossy (laughs) and it probably wouldn't have the same element of heart about it. This game is all heart and it's all playful and it's beautifully made. I really, really recommend it. It's glorious. Such a good game. Youglet. Go get it. Oh, it's also mega cheap. I think it's like six quid or seven quid. No reason not to get it. £5.79 there you at go. the time of recording. Um, I mean... Because I looked it up while you were talking about it and it's got a kind of... I mean, obviously, you've described it as being like like felt tip pens, so it reminds me of Lane Rider, um, yes. particularly yeah. particularly when your character goes into like the little um, dual train track lines, and yeah. you start getting whizzed around the level like that. It's like Ho Hokum with gravity in a <laughs> Lane Rider world. <laughs> yeah, there are loads of it. It's like I don't know. It's, I, I hope you know, even if it's so, like this isn't to kind of detract from at all but like there are so many things that it evokes while remaining completely itself you sort of look at it and you go wow i don't really understand this what this game is and i've been intrigued by it as well for a long time because nipples has been tweeting it since he started development on it 
And I did keep wondering, like, how is this? He keeps saying it's like a platformer, but how is it like a platformer? And it definitely is a platformer. Like it mm. feels it has that um, um, that sort of in the moment sort of moving between things and trying to figure out how to do that and not falling off things. It, it is, it's all of that, that, uh, heart, you know, that kind of, that principle, but yeah, it's very much its own thing. But yeah, there are so many games that have also played with being able to move freely through 2d space. This one. Yeah. I think it's my favorite of that bunch. It looks and it sounds amazing. You've convinced me. You've convinced me to give it a go for sure. Yeah. How do you think it's done? Like, cause I, I think I'd maybe seen this game name once in the last month. It came out, came out like three weeks ago or something like that. Yeah, it did. Uh, do you have a sense of whether anyone has noticed? I don't think it's done. I, I think it's done okay. So the uh, Steam page has 111 uh, reviews and extrapolating from that, I can't remember what the extrapolation rate is. That's probably okay for number. It really deserves to be played by loads more. I think that it, I'm hoping it'll be a sleeper hit because that price and just its immediacy and just how you know just good it is, I think it, it definitely deserves more. So everyone should play it. Everyone should buy it. It's really good. Tell me the name of the game again. It sounds amazing, but like, how do you how do you, you spell st- it? <laughs> will you stop trying to make me say it? <laughs> well, I think you've said it differently every time. So I know, maybe, I just, <laughs> maybe just I'm spell just, it. Maybe I've covered all the bases. I'm going to say it again anyway. Yuglet. Uh, Y-N-G-L-E-T. Oh, so if it's Y-N-G, why isn't it? Inglet rather than Yuglet. It is Inglet, isn't it? It's totally <laughs> Inglet, isn't it? How would a Dane say it? It would be Inglet. I don't know. My sister-in-law is Danish, so I sh- should know, but I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> I was going to say, shall we do question from questions? But I hear that we cannot. We don't have any such thing. Uh, there were no no questions submitted this 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 week, which um which we feel bereft, but don't know what we're doing. I feel, I don't understand. But um, if you do have any burning questions, do send them to us at uh, questions at com. Perhaps we've answered all the questions and everyone is Might just be. content. They have all the, the knowledge they need to Maybe that's go it. forward in life. I mean, I, th- I think that I've done a, over, over history, I've done a bad, I don't think my contributions to answering all the questions of PC Gamers Aiming has, uh, has has been good, so I I don't blame them. No, not having any questions <laughs> is what I'm saying. Okay. Others do do a good job, I should say. But, but I it's, you, it's your fault. It's your it fault. It is my fault. Yeah. they've left yeah. us. Well, <laughs> how about I pitch you a video game to fill time instead? Would you? Oh, I will. I do. I do have fifty quid that I just <laughs> can't wait to get rid of to invest. I- uh, see, I was thinking I was charging, going to charge 20 quid for this, but okay, I'll take your 50. So I've been reading a really good book recently called Working Stiff, which is about, uh, it's written by a forensic pathologist, uh, and it's exceedingly gross. <laughs> That's the first thing to say. <laughs> the, 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 the title of the book is pretty gross as well, in whichever <laughs> way you want to take it. 
It's basically it's a set of anecdotes from a woman who is a forensic pathologist, and it's focused specifically on when she started out in the job in New York around 2000. So she worked as a forensic pathologist in New York from 2000 to 2002. And it's filled with interesting anecdotes. And obviously, like, I'm really into, you know, crime novels and crime TV shows. And if you've watched anything since CSI, there's a lot of kind of forensic pathology-ish stuff in a lot of detective fiction on television and in novels now. But it's really fascinating to have someone who is just going into great detail about their actual job, both in terms of like physically what they do (laughs) to a, to a, to a, dead body essentially um but also the the specifics of the cases that they've worked on and essentially it sounds like a great basis for a detective game essentially (laughs) because like like a big problem with detective games is that most detective work in fiction at least is based on talking to people you know questioning suspects and that sort of stuff whether in in an interrogation setting or something else and it's really difficult in that situation to know what the player knows um because the player might have read a piece of dialogue and not realized that the dialogue had important information in it, or they might have read a bit about a dialogue and forgotten the information in it. They might have just clicked past it and skipped it. And so it's like really difficult to have the game state reflect the player's knowledge. And so a lot of the time detective games end up in this position of either they're hand-holding you too much to the solution or they're relying you on you to be smart. <laughs> and, well, me at least... I'm not smart. Um, <laughs> whereas like forensic pathology is like detective science. Yeah. It, it makes all the information explicit. It's not, and, and like sometimes the cases she's talking about, she's provided with a bit of information like, you know, uh, uh, some witness statements that, you know, that, that saw what happened and like some information from the scene. But by and large, 90% of her work is just with the body and reverse engineering what happened, how they died and why, essentially, to sort it out into categories. Um, and like that, to me, seems like that would make a good game. And so mm. in my head, it's like a papers please type thing. But instead of with paper documents, you're uh, making a Y incision and snapping off rib cages with garden shears, which is apparently what they do. <laughs> and like and Garden shears. Yes. Mm. <laughs> a lot a lot of this stuff was like yeah, they don't they don't have like specific tools they that they make for forensic pathologists or people who perform <laughs> autopsies of any kind. Like if you're a doctor, you have specialist tools because it's really important that uh incisions are done with utmost care because the person's still alive. But uh not so. It turns out with the forensic pathologists <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, like this, reading this book has made me feel uncomfortable about my organs <laughs> several times. Like it's that kind of book where you're like, oh, I feel a little bit, but a little bit too aware of my heart right now. <laughs> um, um, but she, it's utterly fascinating, even in instances like she, she deals with cases that are homicides and that sort of stuff. And they're interesting, but it's also interesting when it's just a medical mystery that she's solving. And so I feel like there's, there's quite a broad scope as well 
uh, for different types of mysteries, mysteries of the body and, and criminal mysteries as well. So how would you, so you said it's a bit like papers, please. Sort mm. of, are you being presented with the body or what, what are you being, investigating? I think, I think you're being presented with the body. And then I think you've got like a set of tools and physics-y interactions <laughs> that you perform <laughs> in that body in order to investigate its insides. Like you could almost think of it as, I mean, I think there's been other papers, please style games that would have come out, which have been about, um, like repairing something, you know, mm. like a conveyor belt and you have to like perform actions in a certain order to dismantle the thing and work out what's wrong with it and fix it, you know, as your conveyor belt goes through or that sort of stuff. Or I, you could also think of it as like, have you played any of the Toka Boca games on iPad yeah, yeah. where they have like a lot of the time they have a kind of like physics-y playfulness <laughs> where you're like... <laughs> so no. you're you're envisaging a, a playful physics-y uh sternum crack <laughs> yes i think you need something to take away it's just like the utter grossness <laughs> so i the, the thing that popped into my head was surgeon simulator mm, so, that would have been a better point of reference but that, that, i forgot about that game but that, that is kind of comedy it had to be comedy so it's not completely gross i don't know whether you can play the comedy card when you're doing <laughs> when you're this particular game I think you abstract it because it's 2D and it's like, you know, you could maybe do it like flat color graphics, you know, or something like that. So there's not, there's not too much viscera. So what kind of, what kind of clues are you trying to find? So look, give me a picture. So you're, you know, so presumably like um, you go into a, effectively a level and you, uh, the, you know, the ultimately the player is going to have to find that they died because they were killed with a, an ice pick right so so how how are they finding the evidence like what is the what like are they being shown oh now look at the head and oh look you know put your little magnifying glass over the wound on the head and you get information i think you'd be given two conflicting reports i think like there would be there would be one, like a detective that says, I think this guy was killed by this other guy using an ice pick. And then you would get the statement from the guy who's being accused saying, no, I didn't do it with an ice pick. Actually, they did it because they slipped and they're, you know, they fell on this object and that went uh, in. So you then uh, gonna need to then, look at the kind of like elbow where they would have a scrape mark that betrayed yeah. the that they fell over. You would then have like a papers please style like manual that says, well, if it's like an ice pick thing, then it would be shaped like this and it would go like that and like give you kind of oblique information that, um, that you would have to translate into what you were actually seeing in front of you. And then, yeah, you've got this kind of like abstracted 2D body that you are then pulling apart essentially in search of evidence of one way or another so that you can determine which which of these two possible outcomes is the correct one and mm. you know maybe it asks you some questions like why how, how you came to that conclusion essentially to like which is like basically a quiz of how much did you pay attention to the body and how much did you pay attention to the manual you were given it gives you the basic information that you were looking for Okay, i i will I will fund this to the tune of fifty pounds, uh, <laughs> but I want I need a couple of I need a bit of extra juice. Um, 
And I think two flavors of juice that I want to be added to this. The first is that I think that you should be doing this in adverse conditions. So uh, on a train where everything's <laughs> wobbling around, maybe in high winds, you know, for a bit of fun, you know, a little physics-y fun. That'd be good, wouldn't it? We're seeing bits of sort of skin flapping around. That'd be, that'd be great. Hair getting in the wounds. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing I'd like is um, I want – the character i think that you need to 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 have all of the the police archetypes kind of messing just just sort of really making themselves known so you need a kind of hard bitten one you need a sort of like a drunken someone who's either with a terrible hangover or is you know actually drunk while they come in with their case and they try to explain stuff to you or um someone who just doesn't care because you know they're kind of they're about to retire, one that maybe is on the take, all the types of police. I think that's doable. Like that's that's a feature in because a part of the forensic pathologist role is you're working with the police. And so if you need information about a crime scene in order to, to make your judgment over the nature of a death, then you're going to be talking to the police. You also have to testify in court. So mm. you're like engaging with these larger systems. And there are anecdotes like the book is the book is excellent. You should go read the book because yeah, it's just awesome. absolutely packed with fascinating anecdotes, page after page after page. Um, and like she talks about police officers, for example, where she will have a, a body. The person's been, has died via strangulation. It seems for all the world like a murder. Um, but for some reason, the crime scene photos haven't been provided alongside the body. Like normally they've delivered at the same time, but she's getting the runaround from the police for some reason. <laughs> and the police officer that's her contact on this particular case, anytime she presents evidence to him, just says, well, that could have been self-inflicted. That could have been self-inflicted. And it takes a full month before she finally gets the crime scene photos to discover that the person was like the crime scene. They were bound to a chair <laughs> by their, by their legs. And like, it was as soon as you see the crime scene photos uh, combined with the information she had that made her think it was already homicide. The crime scene photos make it super obvious. This was homicide, but she's been given the run around for a full month from the police. So you could easily have a case where it's like, you've got a police contact that swears that it's, that it's not murder. There is some bit of information that you, you're, you've been given on previous missions that's now being withheld from you. But you've got to work with the body and use what you've learned or refer to the manual or whatever in order yeah. to, to piece together the, the story of what actually happened. I could give some really nice texture to levels, you know, where, you know, information that you'd normally have by the start of a level you just don't have. And therefore, you know, there's sort of interesting lacks of information. That'd be really fun. But I really like as well that it can be not just about murder <laughs> because like some of the most interesting stuff in there is just like medical mysteries and also just the experience of dealing with families that, you know, maybe they don't want to accept the truth. Maybe they, you know, maybe they don't want to accept that their child was a drug addict, for example, and died of an overdose. And mm -hmm. so, or, or maybe, um, they just want reassurance that you did your job properly. And so if you don't note uh, a particular physical characteristic 
in the file, then the family is going to lose confidence in you because you didn't right. mention the tattoo or the operation they had when they were 10 years old or that sort of stuff. You didn't log that. And so they think that you've done a crappy job or maybe it wasn't their son that you performed the autopsy on. And so they're allowed to continue living in denial. And so these these kind of situations where you're you're also dealing with the living and the kind of social ramifications around these things. All right, 50 quid it is then. I'll have it on my desk next month, please. All right, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I'll knock that together. <laughs> we'll ship it. The first crate and crowbar game. Yeah. yeah. That sounds good, though. That book sounds awesome. Working Stiff. I got it from Amazon. You could probably get it from less evil bookstores, but that's where I bought it. <laughs> I use bookshop.org now. Let's see, let's put a bookshop.org link in the um, in the show notes. All right. Cool. Well, that was very fun. Thank you, Graham. <laughs> You're welcome. And that's all the time we have uh, this week. Um, uh, you can hang out with us in our community on our Discord channel, which is lovely with lovely people on it. Um, you can find the address uh, for that on our website at creativeandcrowbar.com. If you have a question for a future episode, uh, you can send it to us at questions, questions at creativeandcrowbar.com. This, can tweet this is us. why we're not receiving any questions, yeah, it's because they, they just... keep mishearing the email address. They're all going to quick questions, questions. <laughs> at I'll have to look at that. Yes, they're all sitting there. Uh, or you can tweet at us at creativeandcrowbar on Twitter. Um, you can listen to our shows and uh, view uh, various spin-off episodes and things and programs on our YouTube account. Uh, the Crate and Crowbar is kindly funded by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to know about more uh, more about supporting our podcast and its spin-offs, visit patreon.com slash Crate and Crowbar. Uh, and that is, uh, that's all the things. Um, I've been Alex Wiltshire. And I've been Graham Smith. Thanks. Thanks for listening.